0: Hey, it's Karen Hunter from The Karen Hunter Show on SiriusXM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Joining me to talk about what might be next, he's got a new book out called The Next Civil War. Let me welcome to the show for the first time, Mr. Stephen Marsh. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. So listening to that clip of Bill Maher um, talk about, because I've been hearing for the longest. And it started, I guess, with Trump. And it was baffling to me because as far as I knew growing up, Russia was always our adversary, our enemy. It was the communist third, you know, it was like the third right that we, you Mm -hmm. know, would never be aligned with it. And to watch a president, not just cozy up to Russia, but seemingly, you know, welcoming, and then to watch a whole bunch of Americans also like, that's the symbol of strength and leadership it was confusing to me as an American but then I put on my black hat and I got and I said oh of course okay this is about whiteness and people are afraid that it's going away when you Mm -hmm. hear Bill Maher say what he said which I absolutely agree with what are your thoughts Stephen
1: well he's not wrong I, I would probably take a little more complicated view of it um like what what has happened in America since really about two thousand and eight is that hyperpartisanship has taken over the political system in an incredibly um, profound way and has essentially led to a mentality of party over country um, in in a in a lot of different ways and you can you can see that in a whole host of of ways and incredible metrics for it like when people go to Thanksgiving dinner and they're from different sides of politics, the Thanksgiving dinner tends to last about 35 minutes less than it does when they don't. So um, there are a whole host of really, um, you know, really a, a lot of evidence of hyper partisanship. And then at the same time, what you have is uh, the Republican Party becoming really um, having spiking levels of what they call racial resentment. And so, you know, Democrats and Republicans had the same level of r- racial resentment in 1992, and ever since then, basically, the Republicans have become the party of racial resentment, and the Democrats have become the party of, you know, multicultural liberal democracy. So, it, Bill Bill Maher's not wrong. It's just like there's two processes kind of okay. at work at the same time.
0: I'm gonna I'm offer something else. Uh, I'm add. I'm gonna add a third perspective. Uh, and Steve Marsh, you're f- mm-hmm. you're from Canada, born and yeah. raised. I'm black. I'm a global citizen. So what I see is whiteness in the clothing of a party because I think most mm-hmm. people are not wedded to any party whatsoever, but because this party, the Republican Party, uh, ignored the autopsy after, because you brought up 2008. What happened in 2008, Steve Marsh?
1: Yeah. Well, there were three things that happened at the Come same on. time. Like, I, I, like, like yeah. well, you should finish your point. But okay, like, all right. Like 2000, 2008, yeah.
0: Barack Obama became president of the United States. And that, to me, was the great tipping point where white Americans, so-called white, because white is a made-up construct. I know you might identify with it, but it is a made-up construct, imperial uh, for for commerce and and domination. You had to create these, these demarcations of white, thereby black, and black would always be at the bottom of the caste system. By virtue of complexion. Right. So to have 2008, a black man represent the entire country made a whole lot of people say this is no longer my country. They no longer pledged allegiance to the flag. They pledged allegiance to whiteness. And if the Republican Party was going to honor that, that's where they would be. And that's what happened because, you know, the, the, the parties waxed and waned. The Democrats were the party that held. That enslaved people. Those are the people that mm-hmm. fought to secede from the Union, the Democrats. And then you had a Southern strategy. It's not about party. It's about race. It's about demographics. And it's about a fear of losing control. And you t- you write about this in your book, The Next Civil War, that is really about the browning of America in- that has triggered what you are calling the next civil war it's the browning and blacking, but it's not just the browning and blacking it's the success so barack obama we're okay with black people as long as you are where we expect you to be which is at the bottom even if i live in owsley kentucky where everybody is poor and toothless but we're all white 99 percent of us i'm okay with that but let some rich black people move in like phil banks from bel-air i have a problem with these people now and it's yeah. these people, you see Barack Obama and Michelle Obama and all of this black excellence because they brought all of that to the White House and all these entertainers and all these athletes. I even think Colin Kaepernick with his afro, it was about that. How dare you uppity Negro take a knee during a national anthem with that third verse that we don't care about because it subjugates you. It wasn't about the flag or him taking a knee. It was that he did that with that afro in that black body. How dare you? disrespectful we gave you this country you come you're gonna take a knee I feel like that's what's bubbling up
1: thoughts well you know like I would say that you know This book that I take, like, it's an international perspective on, like, why the United States is a textbook case of a country headed for civil war. So something you see all over the world, Um, there's a really fascinating study by these English economists about um, India, about Hindu-Muslim violence in India, and they have this incredible work about where they just do expenditure records, keep it real simple, and basically what happens is as Muslims get closer to having the spending power of Hindus, Muslims being the... You know, uh, the second class citizens of India being the being the 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 uh, lower, wait, lower caste in a, in a country
0: with a caste system, by the way, where they castigate yeah, their but, own people to untouchable yeah, but, wrongs. But go ahead. So,
1: so as yeah. the as the as that group, as that racially marginalized group rises towards equality, that's where the violence starts right and so you see this all over the world like a- apart from the specific racial pathologies of the united states which are obviously very extensive like you see this all over africa you see it all over india you see it all over the middle east and what what you're seeing in america right now is exactly that you know america's going to be a minority major- a majority minority country by 2040 and you know uh, black poverty rates latino poverty rates are at their lowest rate i mean the horrible thing is that as you get towards this equality that's been so long sought, like as the as it as it as it rises towards that point, that's the source of the violence, mm-hmm. and so that's where um, you know like I, I would all of your points I take fully. I would just say that this process is one that's that's actually you know endemic to the species. It's something you see everywhere.
0: I want I want to walk it through. Um, Steve Marsh is here. His book is the next civil war with somebody who again. You know, it's interesting to watch people. I've been listening to all of these um, news media outlets talk about what's going on over there uh, in Ukraine and Russia. And uh, Mm -hmm. I'm going to play a really short clip, seven seconds, correspondent uh, for ITV News. Her name is Lucy Watson. Uh, She said this, play it, Smiths now the unthinkable has happened to them and this is not a developing third world nation this is europe i was like interesting you know like we're okay with this happening in rwanda or the sudan or afghanistan but this is europe as if these third world nations that you talk about weren't the the thriving Givers of science and government before colonization and before the destruction of, you know, whiteness. How, 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 Howard French, great journalist Howard French, writes in Born in Blackness that Europe wasn't thriving at all before gold was discovered in them. There are hills called Africa when Mansa Musa made that trek across. Uh, from Mali to Cairo and destabilize the whole entire gold industry when Europe was like, there's gold over there? Oh, we thought this was a a pass-through to get to China with the spices. Wait, they have gold? They have enough gold to destabilize the whole entire— what else do they have there? And that started what we're on now, which is this kind of thing. And I feel like because humanity, the world, is so ignorant that we start everything with Europe as if it was the center, the Romans and the Greeks and the— they didn't start any, all of that was borrowed from Africa. All the, the all of the columns, the, the autopsies, the great the, the, the Socrates. He was put to death because he brought something different in philo- that he studied in, in Egypt, right? In Africa. This is why he was put to death because he was like, what are you talking, what are you teaching these men? What are you teaching these boys to do? To question what now? Question everything? Where'd you get this? Oh, I was just in Africa chilling with these great philosophers. Oh, I gotta take Hemlock now? Okay, I'm all right, I guess I gotta die. Um, I know they don't teach any of this in in Canada.
1: Steve. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I, they. I mean, well, I would say Mansa Musa. They teach and Ibn Battuta. They teach. Well, they, I mean, I've certainly read Ibn Battuta, and like, I. I mean, I. I would. I would say that the world has always been global, and that I. I think we tend to think of we tend to think of our own position in history as very limited you know or as colonialism is really the defining feature of globalization but I mean I think when you read Ibn Battuta which is where most of the details of Mansa Musa come from um you know he was in Morocco he was in Senegal he was in China he was in Sri Lanka he was he was a fully globalized citizen um and and what he's I mean the thing that's so amazing about reading Ibn Battuta is that you see these patterns that transcends these, the parochial concerns of anywhere. Right. And I mean, that to me seems to be the key to a kind of more resurgent humanism that we understand that the, the patterns that we're seeing are, or transcend the mere localized conditions that we find them in. I mean, you know, the book that I'm like, I I don't know how, I, I must say I have not had an interview about this book where I've had to talk about Ibn Battuta, not that I don't love it. Cause Ibn Battuta everyone should read, but you know i do think that part of the the humanism that i wanted in this book was exactly that kind of perspective because when you get to american politics it becomes so parochial so quickly but what's happening in america is actually something that's really really global and you can see you can see all over the world you can see you can see these trends america is not an exception in this case like what happens in what's happening in america is also what's happened in chile it's also what's happened in rwanda it's also what's happened in you know in europe so yeah, I mean, surely, I like, I, I mean, I would I would adore to have the, the globalized spirit of an Ibn Battuta. That that I think we need in a, in, a, in a very profound way.
0: But we can't get there unless people are willing to divorce themselves from this thing called whiteness. And I know that sounds really um, scary for a lot of people, but I think that's why we're here. Because as long as you're holding on to a made-up construct that really doesn't define who you are as a human being, but I get all of the time people define themselves based on a color in a Crayola coloring, you know, color box. You know, you're it's 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 not who you are. So it divorces you from humanity as long as you can hold on to that. And therefore you're angry at somebody that's not you coming in and doing better than you when you you know, we, we talk about um survival of the fittest all the time in this country, right? And this is like, you know, American exceptionalism. You have to go through yeah. things. But without understanding that you have to go through things and if people have been through things, whether we're talking about immigrants that literally crossed and traversed walk for miles to get to the border of Mexico or you know, over to Texas for what? Like I'm like anybody taking that trek and flip flops. They're running away from something, first of all, that is horrific because you're not going to bring your babies across, you know, unquestionable, uh, scary mm. terrain to come to a country that you heard you might have an opportunity to make $12 an hour and you're happy with that because that's way more, to only come here and be demonized as somebody coming to steal jobs that none of us are gonna wanna do. So let's stop with the nonsense. Or you look at quote unquote black people because you've been conditioned for your whole life to think that black people are somehow inferior and, and you know, inhumane and they look at what you do in your own neighborhoods without ever thinking, why are they in these neighborhoods? Where did the word ghetto come from? Why are they? You know, what did four hundred years of enslavement do to a whole group of people? And yet we got Barack Obama. How is that possible? How is it possible for all of these athletes to do And these? Are, like, why? You know, but instead you just go to they shouldn't be doing better than I'm doing. Why do you make more money? Why do you have more than I do? There's a human suffering factor that if you overcome it, <laughs> builds a certain level of you know fortitude and and stick to itness that. Some of you have never done anything. Your hands are soft. And you complain Mm. and bitch and moan about why you aren't where you need to be. And you're not willing to do just the basic things for your own life. But you're mad at somebody having more than you. Kill my neighbor's cow. I'm gonna kill my neighbor's cow because I don't have one. Instead of asking, how'd you get a cow? What do I need to do to get a cow? Oh, I gotta work ten years. I'm not willing to work ten years. I'm gonna kill your cow because I'm tired of looking at you be able to benefit and I can't. That's the mentality in this country. And maybe it's global
1: well i mean like i i don't i mean i i don't like to to guess what's in people's hearts i mean i would say that you know one thing is that it's not really about people doing better than other people it's about the lower classes reaching equality right like that's like that's the it's not the process of it's it's um like it's a process of black people and latino people rising to equality like when you look at the people who are at january 6th like a very small group of them were militia members and there were active members of the far right and white power movements but the huge majority of them like the one thing they really had in common is that they were they came from counties where there'd been an insurgent of success there'd been a there'd been a surge of successful immigration right and so you're not even dealing with um i don't I like, why do you envy? You're not even dealing with envy, right? You're dealing with, they're going to be like me. And so that, and, and that is something that, as I said, it's not, it's not unique. It's not unique to uh, white people in the United States. It's, it's something that you see all over the world. It's, it seems to be a feature of human nature. One of the ugliest features of human nature really. Yeah, but um, that, and, you know, and that, so.
0: There, there's an origin story to that, right? Uh 801 um, 8255 and I, I don't have uh, a great deal of problem except for the how Ibn Battuta is characterized because uh, the, the book that I that I've read through uh, Ibn Battuta in black America, black Africa. There was oh, yeah? no such thing as Black Africa. It was there was no Africa. Like who named it? Af- like you know, well, like, I don't. I want- that
1: that would be a selection from his yeah. works because he yeah. wrote it. He wrote a full travelogue yeah. where he went everywhere. I mean, right. but, I, Like I, I get- assume that's from something from, from the sixties, right? But right. like the full travelogue, there's all Mansa Musa is also mentioned in Ibn Khaldun. I. Th- think I'm, I'm pretty sure there's at least two records but the most extensive one is in Batuta but he was I don't think he ever met Mansa Musa he just came to Cairo after he'd been through oh, he and, was legendary he, Mansa Musa yeah. the, the
0: legend of him span the globe which is how yeah. the Portuguese was like hey hey let's oh there are people here too that we can take now, what I'm saying is the notion that a continent could be separated based on complexion is is an indoctrinated way of looking like they didn't call themselves black and white and black. Well, Africa Even Batuta versus...
1: would never have thought right. that way.
0: That's what, so, I'm, but, but this you is the modern language that, that, that is fomented. So even though those 80% of people who stormed the Capitol, uh, didn't identify with a white nationalist group, or they didn't consider themselves to be far, whatever they yeah. still are. They still are taught in school that george washington never told a lie and that this you know like they still have a birth of a nation framework for for seeing the world right you see what i'm saying how do we get well away can, I from... with can, huh? can i be honest with
1: you can i be honest with you like no
0: lie but... to me sir lie to me steve marsh
1: please <laughs> well when i went to these groups like when i talked to white power people and i talked to oath keepers and i talked to and just went to you know um rust belt you know, America and talk to like, you know, ordinary angry white people. Um, like what I w- what I found to myself as a white person was that their concept of whiteness was changing quite a bit. And like, th- I mean, that's the other thing that's, it, that it, that, that whiteness is not a static proposition that's inherited from the sixties or like it, it actually, as a, as a conception changes. Now, I didn't put any of this in the book because it's much too vague. Like the book is made up of the hardest facts Mm -hmm. that I could find, right? Only the things that I absolutely was accurate with. But I mean, I do think that there is a a large body of America, middle America, where their conception of whiteness is not derived from these historical models, but is in fact taking on a new, much more toxic, much more aggressive formulation that frankly terrifies me and is a and it's and not um it's not about george washington it's not it's not about even about the constitution it's about it's about whiteness as an identity as a as a i mean don't, don't i don't mean this in the sense of it's a good thing but it's a positive identity which mm-hmm. i like i don't think was anywhere near as prominent even even 15 years ago and it was 2008 But like when we deal with these categories, like I I think actually like whiteness as a category is shifting And, and not in a good way, like not in a not in a way that is going to be, you know, less violent and less and less and less difficult to deal with.
0: You, you, you mentioned, we're talking with Steve Marsh, uh, his book, and I'm sure you didn't expect to have this conversation because you said you didn't. Uh, the next civil war, dispatches from the American future, and you you were in the trenches talking to people. Uh, first, yeah. you know, it's interesting to me, um, a couple of things. There's no such thing as majority, minority, nobody's minor, nobody. So what we're talking about is the browning of America according to the census, right? Yeah. They have, the, they have these categories that they force people to check. So even brown people from uh, upper Africa check white on the census, which if you're trying to get a cab to Harlem, the cabbie doesn't know that you check white on the census, which is why this whole construct, which came up in the 1600s and the 1700s in the world, whiteness is such a damnable thing that we all should be fighting against right all of us anybody that cares about humanity we have to dismantle that because it's the thing that most separates you brought up rwanda where people who are cousins looked at each other based on somebody telling you you're better than the person next, or they're taking something from you but i just i want to you you identified as being a white man you, you well i mean right? i'm a
1: i'm a, i'm I would say I would identify as being a Canadian man. I would. Okay.
0: First, look, so I'm, a, you, no, I'm asking you a question. Don't get, don't get defensive. Yeah. Cool. I, I need you. Cause I know you probably, maybe you have contemplated this and it would be interesting to hear what identifies you as being a white man besides your, cause you're, you're pinkish, you know, peachy. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, I got blonde and to hair you, and you, What does eyes? that mean? Like, what does it mean to be white?
1: It, it doesn't, what does it mean to be white? I and mean, that's a really hard question. Like, I would say, genuinely, when I think about my ethnic identity, like, what I would think about are my Italian ancestors, and I think about my Jewish children, and I think about um, a whole host of complicated uh, identities, and I think about Canada, and I think about English Canada, and I think about French Canada and that division. And I think, like, to me, it's not a static thing. I mean, but on the other hand, like, when I think about what it means to be white, it means that crossing the border into the United States is very easy for me and also like and it is not that way for my muslim friends right and or more my black friends always right like and and also I, when i think about my whiteness i would also say like when i go and talk to white power people and i go and talk to members of like they they're totally open with me and they think i'm one of them right they like they they somehow believe that i am the same as them even though you know i'm in toronto the most multicultural city in the world like a country that you know, the only country in the world where the more patriotic you are, the more you believe in multiculturalism in a city that's, you know, I live in a city that's half foreign born, right? Like, so it, like, it, that's my real identity. Like I'm a member, I'm a person of Toronto. Like I'm a, I'm a person of this city. I'm a person of this country. And and so that like, f- for one thing, like I really don't like being confused with an American. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not, who. I mean, honestly. I'll like, blame you. Well, honestly, that's not, it's not, it's not it's not even a question of fairness it's just not accurate like i come from a whole different set of pathologies and, and god yet, knows we and have yet, them and yet like we have no way like, we, we have our own we have our own nightmares that are really evil and like and but they're not the same as your evils yeah right? but, the, and, but like, why
0: were confederate flags making their way across the canadian border when you had the well, truck caravan? Was, i mean that like was that Americans. to me what no it no that was telling that tells that you was, that
1: those was, were Americans. There were almost all 70% of the funding came from American sources. Talking about five like what that is, what that was was a spillover of your violence onto our streets. And that's how we I like, didn't like, see that's Canadians why, out
0: there saying that doesn't represent us. Get out of here, you American Yankees crossing. We, I didn't we, see a massive
1: measure. Oh, we turned back like literally hundreds of people from the border, right? Like any Americans who are on their way to that thing were all turned back. We, we, we instituted the Emergency Measures Act. Like, we suspended civil liberties in this country to get rid of these people. Like, we, like, we took drastic steps to, to, to stop these people. And they're all going to go to jail. You know, like, they've all had their counts seized. Like, you know, like, the, any truck that was there can't access their money, right? Like, the, the, like, the, like, extreme steps were taken. And, you know, that was really, like, the media narrative of that in the United States was completely unrecognizable from what occurred on the streets like there was no relation to it it was simply toxic american politics spilling over so you know like that is a very i mean that's a perfect example that looks the same it's not the same it's not the same at all
0: And, and you and you saying that it is impossible for us to suss out what is true because we're being constantly inundated with look fox news was
1: like fox news said 150,000 at most like the peak day was the 8,000 people were there i went to the one on my corner it was by the the royal ontario museum the museum didn't close kids kept walking in like it was not (laughs) it was not a big deal that's a damn
0: shape
1: you know like it was like yeah i mean it, it was extraordinary to see the the media distortion like it, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, I guess this is what it's like. And no one mentions that we have universal health care, so that changes the dynamic of these mandates completely, right? Like we, like when you, when you're, when you're, like when, when, when anyone who gets sick, the taxpayer pays for me. Pay, like it makes a huge difference on the whole political calculus. No, and I saw no one mention.
0: You're absolutely because our media is lazy, and I think journalism is dead. I said it. Steve Marsh is here. <laughs> Stephen Marsh is here. Oh God! No, and I'm not even joking. Uh, The next Civil War, Dispatches from the American Future. All right, I'm about solutions as we're going Mm. through this book. And resentment, I think, is there. We wouldn't have had Rosewood and Greenwood and 19 other black thriving communities decimated by white jealousy in in America, especially the summer of 1919, the red summer.
1: Yeah.
0: What is a solution? Like, how can we gird our loins? What can we do to protect ourselves from this war that we might already be in, by the way?
1: Do you mean as Americans or do you mean more specifically the black community? Listen,
0: yes. I mean, more specifically as black people, because I think if if there's another civil war, uh, we're in the crosshairs, aren't we?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so I, think, I, I, I mean, I absolutely believe that that the the black community in America in the case of the civil war is maybe the most vulnerable group uh, in, in the whole country to violence. Um, uh, and I don't say that lightly. That comes from from the research. I mean, what you can do, I think, is organize. I mean, you say you're a solutions person. I'm not sure I am a solutions person. Like It seems to me that what's required is a massive overhaul of the American electoral system and its constitution which is a, a, a you know, a, a, a now decrepit document that's 240 years old. Um, you know, like, in, in 2020, the, there was more guns sold than any other year, the two largest groups that were buying them were African Americans and women. Um, now, that may be because the rural white market was just saturated beyond but like, there there have been like major purchases by groups that are not typically armed. I mean, I think not that I'm, condoning that or suggesting that that's an effective solution. But on the other hand, I think people are starting to be like, "Okay, violence is a real possibility here. Um, You know, I think things like secession, things like the the largest political questions imaginable are the only ones that can that can get America out of this situation, because you know, the, the 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 trends here like this is imagined scenarios, but the trends here go one way. And the trends are, you know, a what they call a complex cascading system where one thing feeds into the other and the process is, you know, already, already underway, really.
0: So we gotta arm That's ourselves. not a satisfying
1: answer to you, is yeah. it? I um, mean, like I, like the answer I genuinely have is like the largest political questions need to be asked. Then, the, like, should America exist in its current form? Ooh. Does it need to? Does it need to break into various forms? Or if not, it needs a new constitutional convention. I mean, when marriages reach the state that the United States is in, you sit the kids down and you say, like, it it didn't work out. Like, it's time to it's time to talk about how we break this thing up. You and know like, what? I,
0: I would love to do yeah. that, but here's what would happen because we would be yeah. thriving because we built the country. I mean, when I say we, I mean black people. We would have mm. our thriving section. <laughs> Am <laughs> having a nice red drink and, you know, before I let go, we're going to have fun. Things are going to be thriving. And then the white folk are going to be over there because they don't know how to do anything. <laughs> Never had to learn how to do and Don't have any muscle, no testicular fortitude, nothing. And looking wow. over at us being happy and do what they did in Tulsa and Rosewood and Greenwood and all the other places in the world, in the in this, in the country, and come and start bothering us. So we're going to have to build Star Wars to shoot down anything. Because, you know, I just feel like um, I hear what you're saying. Yes, it's time for a divorce. I do think we need a new constitution, but I think if every person that identifies in this country along racial lines, first of all, let's remove mm-hmm. the boxes. I know it's for resources, but I think there's a better way to calculate who needs resources in this country than a census box to tell people to check black and white. Cause I think that's really more insidious than anything, even on a application. I got to check black or white for, for what, for what? So you can, what, what, what are we doing here? That's the problem. I think that's at the crux of, Uh, what is wrong with the world and if we're talking about America which gave Hitler the Nuremberg laws because of our Jim Crow laws which gave Hitler the eugenics idea notion of a master race all of this stuff is not true and D.W. Griffith stop it like let's start to reframe that we're all people we're all just trying to live our happy lives and if you somehow are not living your best life look inward (laughs) fix the thing inside yourself
1: you know, when I look at the political situation in the United States from 30,000 feet in the air, which is what this book is an attempt, a, a, temp- a right. try. Let's go, it's a try. It's an attempt to do that.
0: It's a good like,
1: attempt. What, I'm, thank you. Like, I did my, I did my best, really. Um, like, what I see is two competing models, right? And one of them is liberal democracy, flawed liberal democracy. The other one is a settler republic, right? And, or, you know, what they call constitutional republic. And and constitutional republic means minoritarian rule. And it does not, it does, it is not coincident with democracy as an idea. It tends to, it it tends to involve property and concepts of economic freedom, not political freedom. And, you know, to me, that's a pretty clear choice. Like I'm for multicultural liberal democracy forever. Like that is never, that is never, I'm always going to be on that path. No matter, no matter how failed, no matter how, no matter how awful, those are real choices
0: and you have laid it all out uh the next civil war read the book let's discuss it as a family steve marsh you did the best uh and i appreciate you being here and I also like that you're also in english you got your, your doctorate in english and you taught renaissance drama i wanted to get into that at cuny because i'm at hunter college so uh oh Kansas i was in city okay yeah i and loved I, it i was like yes this man has is a man yeah. of the people i appreciate you uh, and thank you for being a, uh, not just a good sport, but an open, nimble mind. Thank you for being here today.
1: Pleasure to be with you.
0: Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on SiriusXM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the SiriusXM app.